Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Then if you're ready for God's word, I want to share with you that um, God has been really working in our community. There is a hunger that's being stirred up, not just at this church, but at other churches for the word of God. And I, and I just want to tell you how proud I am of you, church, that you are taking God's word seriously. The Bible says in, in the book of Deuteronomy that we have a choice to make. Not only do we have a choice to make, but what I find about God's word is it's pretty binary. What do I mean by binary? I mean that you're either in or out. You're either in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. You either love God or you don't love God. You either serve him or you don't serve him. You either choose life or you choose death. You choose blessings or cursing. And so the Bible literally tells us this in the book of Deuteronomy. You can choose to be blessed or you can choose to be cursed. The choice is yours. And this is interesting because the other day I was, um, you know, choice is essential to God because he chose to create us free. He chose to create us free. And you cannot have freedom without a choice. Think about it. You cannot have love without a choice. And so I was witnessing the other day outside to a group of guys that were playing basketball. And if you're here, one of you guys are here, just raise your hand. I didn't think so because didn't, it didn't go so well. <laughs> but, uh, but you never know. And, after, and I just want you to know that because even though I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean that every time I witness it's super easy or super smooth. But I do it because I'm called to be faithful. It's not about the fact that I'm called to save people. Only Jesus can save. I'm just called to be faithful. And so as I was sharing with these young guys, one of the guys kind of challenged me and said, well, do, do I have to accept? Do we have to? I said, well, you have to accept to be saved, but the choice is yours and God respects your choice. And I, and I said, because he wants a love relationship with you. And I said, can you force someone to love you? And he said, well, maybe I, you know, and I said, no, no, think about this. If I tried to force my wife to love me and marry me, we probably wouldn't be married today. How does this work? Grab a girl by the arms and start shaking her and go, you're going to love me, whether you like it or not. And then grab her and say, you're going to marry me, whether you like it or not. No, that's called something else. That's not called love. Is that true? And so what I want you to know is that God never shakes you and says, you will love me no matter what. He comes, he woos you, he lives this perfect, amazing life in the, in, in the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus is an amazing character. You can't not love him. And he doesn't force anyone. And in fact, he hangs on a cross, arms wide open saying, I love you this much. Will you love me back? But the choice is yours. And here God says, Choose, but if you choose me, be careful to obey because all through the New Testament, the Bible says if you choose God, if you say you love him, you cannot disregard his commands and say you love him. In 1 John, the Bible says if you say you love God, but you don't obey his commands, you're lying to yourself. You're tricking yourself. You don't really love him. You've got to obey. So the Bible says, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you might increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. How many of you know God is a God of promise? And he's a holy God, so he doesn't change his promises. Holiness means I don't change. I'm perfect. I'm good. I am, I am without blemish. 
Meaning there's no wavering in his character. Come on, how many of us have full confidence that the people we vote for in these national elections will hold up to their promises? Anyone? If you raise your hand, we'd love to pray for you. <laughs> you know, because no one believes they're actually going to hold their promises. And that's, the, and, and that's not the way it is with God. God will hold his promise. So he says, I'll promise, I made you a promise, and I'm faithful to keep it from generation to generation to generation. The question is, do you want to engage that promise? So he says, hero Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might or with, with your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit, when you walk, and when you lie down and get up. That means all day long, you've got to talk about the things of God. Why do you have to talk about the things of God? Because this world is designed to distract you from the things of God. It's, and so you have to engage the things of God so that you can keep immersed in them or else you'll get removed. But, but keep going with me. Watch this. Tie them as symbols on your hands, on your forehead, around your neck. Put them on your walls. But most of all, this is for one very, very important reason, so that your children get it. So that it translates from one generation to the next. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but I can, I, you know what I'm picturing? I'm picturing that old-fashioned grandma's house where she had like Bible verses everywhere. And she just put up any old plaque and that's ah, not my style. Well, guess what? Grandma had faith, didn't she? Maybe you can learn something from grandma's house. When you were down and out, who'd you call to pray for you? Grandma, right? When you had a question, you go to grandma and grandpa. Yeah, they might have it all over their house, but it's because they know that God's word is tried and true, that they tried it without it all over their house, and then they realize, no, I need to be reminded because I'm prone to forget. And so I need you to put it on your walls. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to talk about God's peace on your walls. You need to put verses about God's goodness on your walls. You need to put it all over the place so that your children remember who their God is. Amen? You want that deep down on their hearts, impressed on their hearts. This is what we're getting at. Why? Because the time is coming when we're going to need it. Jesus said that there is a time where fear will grip men's hearts and make them faint. The Bible says this in the book of Luke chapter 21. It says this, men's hearts will fail them from the fear that's going to come upon the earth. Do you know that time is already drawing near? Since COVID, something in the atmosphere has shifted. Have you not noticed it? Can you not feel it? Come on, I just want to ask you a question. If you've noticed something different in our world, and there's something big going on, like we're running out of conspiracy theories because they've all come true, right? It's like, if you've noticed that, would you raise your hand? Yeah, there's something going on. You know, right during COVID, it was like this, just a couple of weeks in because we only canceled for a couple of weeks, then we moved right outside. And we kept having services outside. And I remember saying, something has shifted in the atmosphere. I can feel it in my spirit. 
And some of you uh, gave testimony to the fact that, yes, you could feel it too. What do I mean by that? For years, America has, has operated under an open heaven, meaning we could throw up prayers and God's goodness was all over. But I felt like a spiritual dark cloud was moving in. The enemy was starting to, to make his move. And you know what's interesting? The enemy has made it very, very clear. He's no longer satisfied with staying in the background. He wants center stage. He's pushing his agenda full blast. He's trying to shove it down our children's throats. He wants the family. Just look around. Be, be cognizant. Be aware. And see if what I'm saying is not true. Now, you might be thinking, what does that mean? It means that as these days get darker, now Jesus might have been talking about the very end, but can I tell you, if you're not strong, you're not going to make it to the very end before your heart shakes. People's hearts sh- are, are going to start shaking here in this last time period. But this is what, I'm, what I, what I want to really bring out. What you need when times get tough is you need good people around you. And who's better than your family? You need a good, strong family. Can I tell you that you don't build a good, strong family when it's time that you need them. No, when it's time that you need them, you want them to be strong already. That means you had to have built it before. And the time is coming when we're going to need each other. And we're going to need to undergird each other. And we're going to need to lean on each other. And we're going to need to support and encourage one another. Because this world we live in is getting darker and the battle is intensifying. But you know what I don't understand? You know, Luciferianism seems to be on the rise. Everywhere I look, there's something about Satan and Lucifer and this and that. And these guys are just coming out of the woodwork. I don't understand. To me, it doesn't make any logical sense. Think about this with me for a second. The enemy represents bad. God represents good. By definition, good is gooder than bad. Am I right? Good is gooder than bad. So why would someone be attracted to what is bad? Now, and you go, yeah, but, 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 but Luciferians believe that, that Lucifer is light and he's misunderstood. And that's why there's children being abducted and abused. That's not Christians doing that. That's the Luciferians doing that. Think about it. It doesn't make any sense. But, but you know what else doesn't make sense? These crazy individuals that are clearly aligning themselves on this side do all kinds of things to push an agenda. Like, say, for instance, one of the things that I saw them do is in the Commonwealth Games, they had an opening ceremony and they had a, a Tower of Babel with a, a demonic... Uh, a demonic face coming through the flames in the tower. It was demonic. The whole thing was demonic. And I'm like, okay, that's pointing to the scripture, the Tower of Babel. I preached on the fact that the, 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 the Babylon will rise again. They're preaching to that same thing. And then they had a woman riding a beast, a Moloch-type beast, a Baal. That, that's all scriptural. And she was dressed in scarlet and purple, which is straight out of the book of Revelation. Now, this is what I, I, I don't get. Okay. Christians on this side, we have this amazing book. These guys are on this side. I don't know what they have. But they're definitely fulfilling our book. Like word for word. They're, they're, they're bringing about what our book has said. Now, you can't be that stupid. 
to be on the wrong side and to go, oh, snap. Their book actually talks about what we're doing. Are you getting me? Pay attention a little bit more. Snap. Their book actually talks about what we're doing. Huh. I wonder what else it says. No, I'd rather not know. Of course you would. You know, let's see. Let's, no, no. Oh, wow. We lose. <laughs> and we lose bad. <laughs> oh, wow. Thousands of prophecies that have been fulfilled to the T. Oh, wow. Jesus comes back and it's not even a fight. Can I just, can I switch sides? Can I just switch sides? You know, it's like, you go, oh, pastor, but why don't they switch sides? Yeah, that's so stupid. The reason why is because the Bible also says there's a deception. And as we get closer, the deception gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It's called a strong delusion. There is a blindness. There is a hardening of the heart and a darkening of the mind. And you don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to be a part of that. And that's why I'm saying, build a strong family today. Teach your children God's word. Teach them God's word. Open up this word and devour it day and night. It's a supernatural book. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you feel. It will change the way you live. It really, really will. And so I want to challenge you. If you're under the age of 30, anyone under the age of 30, raise your hand. I'm always asking this question. Raise your hand high. Raise it high. Raise it high. Look around. Look around. Look around. Come on. Raise them high. Don't be shy, girls. Come on. I want you to look around. More than 30% are under the age of 30. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. We have a young church. We have a young church. We love you guys. But the biggest challenge I can make to you is this. Grab the Word of God and read it for at least 15 to 20 minutes every single day. Read it every single day and I challenge you. I, I know for a fact it will change your mind, it will change your heart, it will change your life, it will make things come alive in such a way you will be blown away. Things will radically begin to change for you. You won't see things the way you used to see them. And God will come alive and make you feel like leaping for joy and fill you with real life. Read his word. Now watch this. If you're over the age of 30 and you know what I'm saying is true, raise your hand. You don't take my word for it. Look around you. Read his word. Would you take me up on that deal? Read his word. Find a good Bible reading plan. Start from the beginning. Start at the New Testament. But do it systematically. 15, 20 minutes. You say, Pastor, I don't understand that much. Maybe you read five minutes and you spend the rest of that time just concentrating on it. Thinking about it. Mulling over it. But this is what you do as well. You say, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, have it come alive in my heart. By the power of your Holy Spirit, teach me, Lord. The Bible says that he sent the Holy Spirit to teach you. So you want to learn God's word. You want to have a fear of the Lord. What does it mean? That means when you learn God's word, you're like, Lord, I have a fear not to live by this word. I'm compelled. I have to live by this word because I would rather disappoint the whole world than you. Amen. You are the one I will not disappoint. 
There's a holy fear. What kind of holy fear, Pastor? I thought fear makes you run away. That's an unholy fear. A holy fear brings you to. What do I mean? I know what it's like to live without you, Lord, and I am fearful to ever be away from you. I will not walk by myself any longer. I will not walk in despair. I will not walk in discouragement. I will not walk away from you. I've left that life behind. It's you and me. Teach them the importance of prayer. Teach your family the importance of prayer. Do you realize that we have an epidemic of anxiety in this nation? It's all over the place. And yet the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. So the cure to anxiety, watch, he's about to give it to you. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So this is the key. If you're struggling with anxiety, the world is going to push a drug towards you. It may be a legal one or it may be an illegal one, but that's the way the world says you should you should deal with anxiety. Can I tell you, before you try the world's way, I'm not saying that it's wrong to take a prescription to help you with anxiety. What I am saying is, you are selling yourself short if you don't try God's word first. First. What do I mean by that? I mean, God, your word says that if I'm anxious, I should go pray. And my prayer should not be about my problem. My prayer should be with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. So, Lord, I'm going to start making a list. I'm going to name my blessings. Name them one by one. See how good and all the things your Lord has done. Amen? Start to listen. Okay, watch. But you might be tempted to say, but pastor, prayer is so boring. But it's so healthy. There's no side effects. I want you to look at all the side effects on that little piece of paper Walgreens gives you. And then look at these side effects. His peace will guard your heart and mind. His peace. Yeah, but an hour of prayer, that's a lot. Oh, it'll, it'll, it'll heal your heart. It will heal your mind. And, and I want to let you know that I come at this honestly. When I first started in ministry, one of my dad's pastor friends told me, you know, don't you want to know what God has for your life? And he really rocked my world with this statement. He said, he said um, you don't get to live your life over. You only get one life to live for your king. One life. And if you miss it, you don't get a mulligan. And when he said that word mulligan, it, it, it destroyed me. And I'll tell you why. Because I was working and I was trying to, I was trying to become rich working in 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 this particular field that I was in. We were in risk management, and uh, it was during the dot-com boom. You remember the dot-com boom? And there were companies all over moving to Austin, and we were selling them all kinds of uh, risk management packages from, from any kind of insurance need to employee benefits, all this stuff. So I was like, man, we're just doing a lot of business. And this is what my boss told me. He said, you want to write business and you want to bring business, you, you set up an appointment on the golf course and our company pays for it. Because he knew four hours of playing golf, it, it was a good likelihood we'd, we'd, we'd make a good connection. And so he says, but you play golf horribly. I did. And, uh, and I said, it's because I don't like it. 
He says, well, learn to love it. And I'm going to pay for your golf lessons. He sent me to a pro. He sent me to, to anytime I wanted to hit balls during lunch at the, at the local driving range. He set up an account. I could go and do that. Some of y'all are going, man, that's awesome, right? Well, this is what he told me. He said, you never slow ga- the game down. So there's two rules. You never slow the game down and you never beat the client. Let them win. So this is what you do. You take you some extra balls. And when you're in the weeds, don't go looking for it, trying to slow it down. You just grab one and go, oh, here it is. Here we go. And you just keep it going. And just make sure your score and you're dropping balls everywhere. I can see it now. You're not going to beat him anyway. Okay. But you're really good at talking and people have a great time with you. And that's what it's about anyway. And when that pastor friend said, you don't get a mulligan, all I could think of is, Come on, anyone hearing what I'm saying? You don't get to just pull an extra life out of your pocket and drop it on the ground. And say, I think I'll start from here. I don't like that ball went away out in the rough. I'm going to go over here in the fairway. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it really got me. And I said, okay, so what do I do? He said, pray. So I started praying an hour every morning. I said, Lord, I'm going to give you an hour every morning. I'll never forget the very first day I walked into that church, quiet little church. I'm kneeling down and I said, here we go, an hour. And I set my Seiko watch. Remember the Seiko watches? Set the Seiko watch to an hour. I prayed everything that was on my heart. I looked at my watch and I thought, for sure, it's been 55 minutes, 45 minutes at the least. It was five minutes. I almost had a heart attack. I said, now what am I going to do? But you know what I thought to myself? I said, I've been, no, um, Siri, stop. I've had, listen, listen to me. I'm supposed to be in a love relationship with the king of glory, and I can't spend more than five minutes with him. And so I said, Lord, here and, I, here and now, we're going to mix it up. And you and I, I got to get to know you. And I want you to know that I love you. And so we just started talking and I started praying whatever was on my heart. And then I started singing and went to some old hymns and just, just spent some time with him and it changed my life. I know it would change yours. Teach your children the importance of prayer that they may have confidence. The Bible says, now this is confidence that we have in him anything we ask for according to his will. The Bible says this is the confidence that moves mountains. Mark 11 says this is the confidence that moves mountains. That if we ask for it, it shall be done. We say cast yourself into the sea, it will be done. You say, but what kind of mountains? We moved a mountain in the seagull's life today, this week. I can tell you many mountains this church has moved in the name of Jesus. Why? Because to be a people of prayer means something. And as we go, dark, we go down this dark path that we're heading, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not that pastor that tells you that, that God wants you healthy and wealthy. Can I tell you that nonsense that's been preached all over the U.S. is nonsense. You know why? It only works in the U.S., We are facing the most martyred time in human history for the church around the world. That means there's more martyrs today than at any other time in human history, but the U.S. is still preaching health and wealth. 
That doesn't mean that God hasn't blessed us with health and wealth, but it's not so that we'll sit back on our couch getting heavy and completely, completely out of shape spiritually and saying, saying things like, hey, grandma, how about another grape soda? You know what I'm talking about? That public service announcement with the little boys like laying down, playing video games, calling. We're the same way. Hey, God, how about another blessing? The truth is, Jesus is coming back. The battle's intensifying, and we need to learn to pray in real faith. Real faith for more than just our own needs. And that's why I'm asking you to go see this movie, to pray that God's hand would move on behalf of the, of the, of the, of the least of these. Those that don't have fathers, those that don't have mothers, or those that have been taken from their fathers and mothers, but we can pray and ask that God would move mountains on their behalf. Amen? Amen. And so pray together. Pray with one another, but pray. Can I tell you about a young man named Larry? He was coming up, and he was, he was bothered. He was kind of holding himself, and he kept kind of rubbing his head like this, and he comes up to the prayer partners, and the prayer partner he chose was the pastor. And the pastor said, Larry, how can I pray for you? He said, he, he said, can you pray for my hearing? And he said, oh, okay, yes. And so the pastor grabbed the ear that he was kind of touching near, and, and, he, and he grabbed the ear, and he puts his finger in his ear loop, just like that, and he just starts praying with one hand on his forehead, the other hand on his ear, and he's praying and praying and praying and praying. And Larry starts raising his hands. He's believing, he's believing. And then he says, amen. He says, Larry, how's your hearing? Larry looks at the pastor, and he says, I don't know. It's on Wednesday." Some of you are going, bad pastor, that's wrong. You were getting a little too serious. I had to lighten the mood, amen? But how many of you know, even when our prayers aren't perfect, God is good? God is good. Teach your children to serve the Lord. Teach them to serve the Lord. How many of us know that, that to love God is to obey God and to worship God, but worship and service are one? Listen to what the Bible says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Did you see that? It's your reasonable service. I'm going to share it from another version. It's from the NIV now, the New International Version. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship. Now notice, one says worship, the other says service. Service and worship in God's, in God's word were always one and the same. So I want you to think about how we think of worship. We think of worship as of honoring God with our presence. That's not worship. Worship is serving God. Serving God. I want you to serve God and teach your children to serve God. You say, Pastor, why do each one of your children do something for the worship team? Not because I'm special or because I want them to be special, but I want them to connect in their hearts and in their minds what it is to serve their true Lord. To serve Him to worship him. Because if you let your children just sit, it will be long before they're not sitting in here. It won't be long before they're not sitting in here. 
You want them to connect that their relationship with the awesome king of glory is personal. And it's a privilege to bring them, bring him their best. Can I tell you this world specializes in taking your children, wrapping them up in all sorts of addictions and cares that they offer. You don't need to help them at all. You need to fight against it in one of the purest ways you can do it is to have your children serve the living God, that they might connect in their hearts what it is to serve a living God. Amen? Amen. Come on. But pastor, how can I ask them to do something I'm not doing? Well, that's a good question you ask. <laughs> that's a very good question. What, what, do you mean that do as I say doesn't work? Yeah, do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. So are you telling me that I should serve before I start telling them to serve? You said it, I didn't. You said it, I didn't. Yes, start serving. Don't just say do as I say, not as I do. Start serving. Teach them to rejoice. Now, guys, we're going towards the home stretch quick. What does it mean to rejoice? The Bible says rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. The Bible says rejoice in all circumstances, in all situations. That means teach them to have joy. You say, Pastor, but it's getting darker. So what? We're still having a party. We're still celebrating the goodness of our king. We're still always looking to the good. Why? Because God is able to take any situation and work it out for our good. He is. And that's part of faith. And so I want you to teach your children to rejoice. You've got to rejoice. That means when you go out, uh, when you're hanging out at home, find reasons to laugh. Find reasons to smile and to dance. Can I tell you why I'm asking you to pray for my knee? Is I'm a dancer. I, you go, yeah, can you see it now? You know, I want to get back to dancing. Why? Because music plays a big part in our home. We'll play music and I'll smile and I'll laugh and I'll dance with my daughters and I'll dance with my son and we're just having a good time. Why? Because life is worth celebrating. The Bible says he gives us all things for us to enjoy. How do you enjoy something? You rejoice in it. The words are right there. And so I'm going to ask you not only to rejoice, but to be grateful. The Bible says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but instead by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, be grateful. Gratitude is one of the most helpful human emotions you can have. And when you practice gratitude, it spreads. Be peacemakers. Peacemakers. You say, but pastor, how can I be a peacemaker? Very, very clearly. Come look at me. Practice in your family, no criticizing. Well, I'm not criticizing. I'm just calling it like I see it. Call it, call it out with joy and speak something good over the matter, not something negative. Well, it's just a terrible situation and I'm trying to be realistic. Well, if you're trying to be realistic and all you focus in on the bad is that's where you're going to gravitate towards. 
But if you can call out the good, then you'll gravitate towards the good. Can I tell you something else? No gossip. Peacemakers don't gossip. The Bible says that God hates a gossip because it brings down brothers. It tears down brotherhood. What is brotherhood if not family? Family. It tears apart family. Can I tell you? He who gossips to you will soon gossip about you. Don't be that person. No backbiting and cattiness. What do I mean about backbiting and cattiness? Let's be genuine peacemakers. What does it mean by peacemakers? It means we always bring out the best in people. How do we bring out the best in people? Well, we treat them like they're a million bucks. We don't treat them one way when we're in front of them and then talk about them when we're behind them. Or when we see them at church, we're super friendly, then we see them in the, in the uh, grocery store and we act like we don't know them. You know, if I recognize you and you do that to me, I'll chase you down and say, uh-uh, you hug me at church, you're going to hug me right here. Come on. Let's hug it up, baby. Bring it in for the real thing. Because my daddy taught me, hey, if you say you love somebody here, you better love them there. Love them and be true to your word. Be a man of your word. If you say you're my friend, then treat me like my friend when I'm with you and when I'm not with you. Amen? Because that's the kind of people we're called to be. We want to teach our families to apologize. That means when we do wrong, be quick to say, I'm sorry. You know, there's a movement in the Christian circles that some people are saying that once you become a Christian, you never sin anymore. You know, theologically, we can make things so complicated. Paul put it this way. He said, it's already done, but I still have to walk it out. That means if I didn't live inside of time and space before the king, I'm already forgiven, right? It's already done. But that doesn't mean that here on earth, I'm not in heaven here on earth. Therefore, I will still make mistakes. And I still have to say I'm or if I'm not careful, pride will set in. And pride is the biggest mistake we can make. So saying I'm sorry brings us to the point where we can teach forgiveness. Forgiveness is super important. After all, unforgiveness sends you straight to hell. Read this with me. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. What does this mean? It means that forgiveness is important. Now I understand, listen to me very, very closely. We already had some major breakthrough in the last two services right here. Major breakthrough. I wish I could give you the testimony, but, but it's too personal. But I will say this. Some of you have been hurt horrifically horrifically, as children, as adults, by people you cared for and people you thought cared for you. But can I tell you something? The last thing you want is for the enemy to steal one more day of God's goodness from your life. And the way he steals it is to have you live in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you and God. It's about you not carrying that yuck and that muck and weighing yourself down. Jesus said, 
cast it upon me. Let me take it. That's why he went to the cross. Let him have it. Let go of it. Say, I won't live one more day behind this wall of protection. Yeah, you call it a wall of protection. The enemy calls it your prison. No, Jesus called to set you, he came to set you free. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. He called and he came to set you free that you might live in wide open spaces, exploring new goodness of his love, not back behind this wall of so-called protection. So I'm gonna ask you to forgive. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. You can call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, help me forgive. I don't want this anymore. I cast it upon you. Lord, come into my life and by your strength, Lord, just drag it out of me. Get rid of it. I don't want it anymore. I forgive in Jesus' name. And he'll walk you through it, amen? But forgiveness is super, super important in a family. Teach them to help others. This is why we serve in church, so that ultimately we can serve outside of church. The Bible says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. We should think of others more than ourselves. Let each of you look not only for your own interest, but also for the interests of others. Teach them to work hard. Come on. Fathers, mothers, there's nothing more important than being hard workers. You say, but if I'm asking them to be a hard worker, that means I've got to be a hard worker. Yes, we're called to be hard workers. We're called to be such hard workers that people want to hire us because they know our reputation. It's like, man, if you can hire a Christian, you've hired a great worker. And if you can hire a Christian from that foundation church, wow. They're worth two or three workers. Those are the kind of workers you want, hard-working folks. Why? Because they don't work for you. They work for their God. And they make a big deal about their God. They fear, they fear in their heart disappointing this God of theirs. I don't know what kind of God he is, but he must be amazing. In fact, not only am I going to hire them, I'm going to ask them about it. Come on now. That's what we're, last but not least, we have one more after this, but 21, we will wait till next week because I'm preaching a whole message on it. But 20 is where we finish. Teach them to be good stewards. Teach them to be, we've been talking about end time stuff a lot. And do you know there is a shortage of coins here in America? Coins, there's a shortage of, of coins. In fact, we're running out of common sense. <laughs> yeah, dad joke. Sorry about that. Bam. <laughs> now we're called to teach our children about finances. The Bible says we're called to be prosperous. The head, not the tail. We're called to be lend, uh, lenders and not borrowers. And so we need to teach our children how to handle finances because think about this. Jesus spoke more about finances than he did about heaven and hell combined. Why? Because your finances is how you live out your faith. That's where the rubber meets the road. How you handle your finances is how you express your faith. Did you know that? You can either choose to 
be selfish in those finances, but I never have enough. Maybe it's because you're not handling them right. And I want you to know this. I want you to know that some of us have very little, and we keep asking God for more. But God is saying, if you can't handle the little, why am I going to give you more? You're going to wreck yourself. You can't handle the Pinto. How are you going to handle the Ferrari? You're going to go hit a tree. You, you don't know how to handle what you have. And do you know that God is the one that brings or doesn't bring finances? Read with me in the, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. And so if he has you here, you have to be grateful and say, Lord, for some reason, this is where you feel I should be. Therefore, I'm going to be faithful right where you put me. Amen? I'm going to be faithful. But how should I be faithful? Well, the Bible says that we're not called to live like the world does in terms of our finances. We put God first in our finances. That means you bring your tithe. You're faithful in what you give to the Lord. Number two, you're faithful in your generosity. You look for ways to bless others, but I don't have enough. No, you need to reorganize your priorities. Think about this with me for a second. Half of the stuff that Americans spend on, they don't need. And so before our family starts doing for it, we got to give to others. We want to bless others. Then the last part is I live. So I give, I save, I live. Amen? I give, I save, I live. This is super, super, super important. The Bible says in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich. Pastor, I'm not rich. Okay, let me put some stats up here for you. I don't know if we have them. Yeah, there we are. If you made 1,500 last year, you're in the top 20%. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, an apartment, a place to live, and reliable transportation, you're in the top 15%. If you made 50000 last year, you're in the top 1%. We're rich. So let's go back to what God said. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, but to be humble. Nor to trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. Watch what he says. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of what? Come on, read it with me. That they may lay hold of what? See, the way you walk out your faith shows if it's real or not. Shows if it's real or not. You say, but pastor, I, I don't know, have enough to give and I don't have enough. And this is why finances is so important. Teach your children early on how to be savers, how to manage their money, how to be hard workers so that they can always be generous. Why? Because how you're generous is how you live out your faith. Anybody can talk about faith. It's a difference to live it. Amen? Amen? So this is where I finish. There's a little boy named Johnny. How many of you have heard of the little Johnny jokes? I've told a few. So little Johnny's always being teased at school, and he's being called stupid. 
And the kids just love to poke fun of him. And one of their favorite things that they do to poke fun of him is they make fun of his understanding of money. And so they bring up a dime and a nickel and they go, Johnny, pick the bigger one. And Johnny always picks the nickel and they laugh. (laughs) He's so dumb. He doesn't understand that the dime is actually bigger than the nickel. He just looks at the size and he keeps picking the nickel. And they've been at this for years. Finally, one of the Sunday school teachers hears and says, Johnny, come here, son. What are these kids doing? So Johnny kind of hangs his head a little bit, and the teacher says, I already know. They keep making fun of you because you don't understand that the dime is actually bigger than the nickel in its value. And Johnny just grins and says, well, if I had picked the dime, I wouldn't have been up to 20 bucks this year so far. Some of you are going, I don't understand. Okay. Johnny's getting rich. They keep giving him nickels. (laughs) And he don't care if they make fun of him. Can I tell you, you got to quit worrying about the world making fun of your family. Doesn't matter what the world says about your family. What matters is what God says. And God's blessing comes with no curse, with none. So as you're here today, would you just take some time and thank the Lord for a beautiful family? You might be here and you might say, Pastor, I don't have my own family. You have this church family. You might be here and you may never have your own family, but you're always part of God's family. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I can't wait for, to welcome my own family. Then in, in your own way, just ask the Lord for that. Say, God, I can't wait for the family you're going to give me. I know it's going to be good. And I know that you're preparing me even now to receive that family. So here I am, Lord. Shape me and make me into the man you want me to be. Shape me and make me into the woman you want me to be. Maybe you're here today and you don't have children and you're not sure if you'll ever have children. That's okay. Can I tell you? It doesn't mean God doesn't want to use you in the very special way that he created you to be used. You can be an uncle. You can be an aunt. You can volunteer in a good church. You can also help other couples as you share with them God's word and what he's done in your life. There's many ways. Don't let the enemy steal from you. God is for you. He loves you. And his blessings are to a thousand generations, including yours. I love you, church. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us into your family. We know that it was your gift at the cross, your body that was broken, and your blood that was shed that gives us eternal life. Until you return, may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name. I love you, church. Have a great, great week.